passing out uh, an up-to-date book list on the subject of marriage and intimacy. Um, this is the year of the family, and in uh, connection with the year of the family, uh, I am bringing a Bible study entitled, What is this thing called the family? And the first lesson was, what is this thing called love? The next two sessions, and it took two to get all of it in, is what is this thing called submission? And tonight, I was scheduled to bring uh, a lesson on what is this thing called a mother? And the only thing I can tell you is that... Um, I began to see that in connection with submission and the relationship of a husband and wife, I need to talk a little bit on the subject of intimacy. So I may not get to the mother tonight. I hope to start, but I want to deal a little bit on the subject of intimacy because I think that's very important. I think there's some misconceptions on the subject of intimacy. So uh, I hope you'll bear with me on that. These books that are on the book list, you can get them at practically any Christian bookstore, and they're some of the best and some of the latest. I would particularly recommend The Marriage Builder. That's one of the books I have read in preparation for the series I'm doing with you, and it is one of the best books on marriage that I have ever run across, and it has a new dimension uh, in it. I'm going to use something from that book, and I got permission to use it tonight, but I would recommend that, and the other books there are very, uh, very good, and I think they'll be a blessing to you. Tonight I'd like to begin with the prayer that I have um, given you a copy of, and so let's just bow our heads and let me pray this and you follow as I pray. Lord, if there's only one home left on earth that is under God, I declare that I want it to be my home. I'm willing to pay whatever price is necessary. I'm willing to make any adjustments called for. I'm willing to take whatever steps are divinely commanded to have a home that is spirit-filled. Take over me and take over my home in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for the last two times, we've been dealing with the subject of intimacy, and I ended with a Dick Little-ism. <laughs> And I have put that on the bottom of your marriage and intimacy book list in which it goes something like this. Proper submission equals proper relationship. Proper relationship equals proper respect. Proper respect equals proper communication and proper communication equals enhanced love and spiritual oneness. 
Now, spiritual oneness is very important. And if you don't have spiritual oneness, you have what Larry Crabb calls, <laughs> I love this, a tick on a dog marriage. Now, do you know what a tick does on a dog? The tick doesn't do anything for the dog. The tick just sucks the blood out of the dog. And when you don't have oneness in a marriage, you've got two people who are ticks on a dog in the marriage. Problem is, there ain't no dog. <laughs> and so what happens, they each use up the other one. And they suck the life out of each other. And as a result, the marriage is disastrous. And one marriage that was disastrous what happened to a man by the name of Thomas Haygood. Thomas Haygood came home one night and his wife said, we are so different. I'm not sure I want to stay married to you. And I'll tell you one thing. If I had it to do over, I don't think I would have picked you. Now that surprised Dr. Haygood because Dr. Haygood is a marriage and family therapist in Tyler, Texas. And all of a sudden his marriage exploded. And Dr. Tyler went on to say in some things he's written on oneness, he said, my wife and I, when we got married, we majored on oneness. We decided that we were going to make oneness and intimacy, we were going to make that a priority. And he said, all of a sudden, it blew up. And he, then he says, as we worked toward intimacy, we unknowingly laid a trap for ourselves. What we had assumed was intimacy was in fact a misconception Soon we began to painfully reap the results of our false conception of intimacy. And so he talks about certain myths of intimacy. And I think he's got really something to say, and I want to paraphrase what he says about the myths of intimacy. The first one is that accepting each other is easy. And you see what happens when you accept each other, you accept the each other that is given to you. And so what you think your wife is when you marry her is what she projects to you. How many of you know we don't always project what we are? How many of you would agree that we project to other people what we want them to know? How many of you would, would agree that we project to other people that which we want people to think of us, not necessarily what we are? So he decided what his wife was like, and he said, I love her, whatever that meant, 
And so he began to think to accept that would be very easy. Only trouble is he wasn't accepting the right that. And as they went through the years, she began to change. And as they went through the years, it began to be revealed not only what they projected of themselves, but what they really were. And so differences began to surface. And they learned that acceptance was a process that... Um, he says, involves receiving and not remaking. So many people in acceptance, they want to remake their spouse. But he said, we had to learn that acceptance was in receiving what your mate is. And that changes from time to time. It changes with a lot of things. When you get married... You are a single individual. But pretty soon, then you become a married individual, and that's different. Then you become a mother or a father, and that's different. And then changes come in your work. Take a man, he gets promoted, he gets more responsibility, he has different demands on him, and so he begins to change. The mother becomes a wife, she may work, or she may get maybe uh, become one of these uh, unpaid taxi drivers. Do you know what I mean by that? Going here and there and yonder, and they have less time for each other, and so the acceptance has to grow through all of these things. Then in later life, the woman goes through menopause. The man goes through the aging process where he's, as one person put it to me yesterday, he said, I used to think I could control my body. And it's very threatening to me that I can't do that anymore. I can't do everything I want to do. So there are various changes that come. Also, the second myth is the myth that intimacy means being just alike. And um, Dr. Haygood said that he and his wife felt like the best way for them to have intimacy was for them to be as similar as they could be. And pretty soon, he said, we began to be so much alike that we lost the boundaries that separate us as individuals. Now, you know, in most marriages that we have here, we have what is called a unity candle. I never heard of that until I came to North Carolina. I don't know if they have that anywhere else. Are any of you from somewhere other than North Carolina, and did you have a unity candle when you got married? Anybody from any other state? I think the unity can candle is North Carolina. And I also think it is not necessarily a good symbol. That is, if it's not done the way I urge people to do it because everybody knows I'm right. But anyway, <laughs> what they do on the unity candle usually, they come together, you have a candle here burning, a candle 
here burning, and the one in the middle is not lighted. And so the bride and groom come up, and they each take the candle, and together they light the unity candle. And that's wonderful. But then they do a very bad thing. They blow out the two candles and put them down. And I think that's an error. Because when you get married, it doesn't mean you give up your individuality. You still have your individuality. There is a oneness. And so I urge couples in the unity candle when they get married to light the one in the center but leave the other two burning also. And so there are three dimensions. There's the individuality of the husband and the individuality of the wife and they come together in unity. When the Bible says a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh, there is still a man and a woman, but they are one flesh. You see, sometimes when you try to lose your individuality, then you lose your uniqueness, and marriage becomes boring. It really does. There are women that have remade men into what they want them to be. And there are men that have remade women into what they want to be, want them to be, and most of them get divorced. Because the uniqueness and the individuality is not there. And I think we need to celebrate, if we have proper intimacy, I think we need to celebrate uniqueness. God created you as you are. He gave you a particular personality. So the myth of this unity or oneness, the myth of it, I think, is that you have to be just alike. And then also another myth of oneness is that we can make each other happy. And what we, what we mean by that is that we can change the person into such a way that they will be happy with us. Or this person can make us happy. Or we can make our spouse happy. And uh, Dr. Haygood said that that was a particular thing in his marriage because he felt it was his duty to make his wife happy. And he got very frustrated when he couldn't do that. And there are many women who think it is their duty to make their husband happy. And they get very frustrated when they can't do that. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus calls us not to make each other happy, but to serve each other. Um, take uh, your Bible and turn to Matthew 19, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. And then I want you to turn to John 13, 14 through 17. John 13, 
14 through 17. Let's read that one first and then go to Matthew 19. The path is not responsibility to make the spouse happy. You can't do that. Also, the duty is not to fulfill the spouse. You cannot fulfill the spouse. You cannot be everything your spouse wants you to be. You cannot make that spouse happy. The duty is to serve one another. Jesus, when he was on earth, he had a very intimate relationship and a oneness with the twelve. And just before he left them, he told them how that oneness comes about. And we find that in John chapter 13, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you, that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I'm telling you, before it comes to pass, so it does occur, that you may believe I am here. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. So the reception of the Lord is to receive him as he indicated we were to interact together. And he was talking there of serving each other. If I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one of the, another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So the object in oneness is not to fulfill the spouse. The object is not to make the spouse happy. The object is to serve the spouse. And as the husband serves his wife and the wife serves her husband, then the intimacy begins to come. Now look at um, Matthew 19, verse 6, that says there, there are no longer two but one flesh, and what God has called together, let no man separate. And so one is called to serve the other in marriage, not to fulfill or to make the other happy. And then the fourth myth is if I do my duty, God will change you. In other words, we feel if we are the best husband we can be, then that which irritates us from our wife God is, is supernaturally going to change that. Or the wife thinks if she is just the best wife she can be, then that thing that she doesn't like in her husband is going to become different. 
And beloved, that isn't true. Because we need to lay down our lives for our friends, particularly those we're married to. You got to realize that that wife may never change. Now, I want to say that I have been very blessed with my wife. I've been far more blessed by my wife than she's been blessed by her husband. I'll tell you that. But um, there's a certain thing about my wife that I didn't like. And I kept thinking that maybe if I would talk to her, maybe we could discuss it, or if I could do the right things, that that would change. Finally realized that that's not going to change because that's part of her. And once I realized that, then I began to accept that as part of her. And I don't have difficulty with it anymore. That's a very little thing. I'd be embarrassed. I'm not about to tell you what it is, but I'd be embarrassed to tell you what it is. You'd say, that bothers you? Yeah, it does. You're about driving up the wall sometimes. But see, I felt if we could just discuss it or I could just be a better husband, that that would change. Now, I got news for you. None of you think this, but there's something in you that drives your spouse up the wall. Believe it or not, and I'll say to your spouse, get used to it. There are certain things you buy with the package. <laughs> and I got news for you. Who was it that came in one time and talked and said, the grass is always greener on the other side of the street, but it's still got to be cut. And that's true with this. You might, that's the myth of divorce, you know. There's a big myth called divorce. And the myth of divorce is, well, I got a bad thing here. And if I divorce, I'll get a better thing. Well, you might, but there's still going to be things in the better thing that you're going to have to accept. The Bible says there are things that you don't always understand. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path and direct your path toward intimacy. Uh, Dr. Haygood says healthy intimacy involves acceptance, individuality, servanthood, and commitment. Being willing to accept what we cannot change and letting the Lord change what He deems appropriate, that frees us to allow Him to do His work. And so Dr. Haygood said, that when his wife said to him, I don't think I want to stay in this marriage, and if I had it do over, I wouldn't pick you. He said that began a long process in discovering some of these myths concerning intimacy. And he concludes by saying, we're still different. We still experience misunderstandings. Sometimes we inadvertently inflict pain each on the other. However, these new insights have allowed us to accept each other, realizing our differences are part of the Lord's plan. For our intimacy 
is connected in his kingdom's purpose. So you see, I really like the unity candle if it's done right. Because next time you see it, I hope you'll see it with the two candles burning on each side and the candle burning in the center and the unique flames are being warmed by the flame in the center, which is the flame of unity that only the Holy Spirit can bring in a marriage. And I think the key word is acceptance. Isn't that the gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that he gave his son. And we love him because he first loved us. That engendered love in us. That's divine acceptance. Why do you love God? Ask yourself that. Why do you love God? Whom you've never seen? Who you've never touched? The only reason you love God is because you have experienced his love. And that's the key. Accepting love. And that's the thing that brings the intimacy. The oneness. Now that has to be not only in thought. It has to not only be in deed. It has to be in words. And some marriages have been killed by words. And I've got something that I want to pass out. And so I'll ask you, will you, will you help me there on there? And I'll get to Matthew. Would you help pass this out on this side? This is something that uh, I borrowed from Larry Crabb's book that is in your, in your um, um, list there. Certain pr principles in communication. Dick Robinson has taught some of these things in his um, uh, course on understanding the deep heart. Uh, but some of you haven't been through that course, and unfortunately you have to interact in your marriage. And the tongue can destroy. In fact, I might say the tongue probably has destroyed more marriages than any other organ of the body. The tongue is powerful. That's the reason we need to commit our tongue unto the Lord. And that's not just talking about a prayer language or anything like that. So I wanted to teach just a few principles of communication and how this acceptance and this oneness comes in in how we communicate with each other. There are four principles of communication and they are illustrated by this wife and husband interaction. And I believe now all of them have been passed out and I would like you just to read Interaction 1. It's on the left. Interaction 1. 
You read that. Read what the wife said. Read what the husband said. All right, the answer there, I guess I really seem selfish to you. It was, as, it was as if all I cared about was what I wanted. Now, Larry Crabb says that is reflecting. When the person says something, many times you are defensive, particularly in the area they're talking about there. But because you're defensive, you run off. And many times, you don't adequately reflect or understand what the person has said. So this is a reflection. Let them know you hear and understand what they say. All right, let's look at interaction number two. Just read that. Interaction number two. I read something recently where a man said that the best way to lose communication and regard, someone's regard for you, is to let them know that you think you are smarter than they are. Now I want you to think about that. One of the best ways to lose communication and regard is to let a person think that you think you're smarter than they are. And so you see, when this, when this husband did this, I, I'm sure he didn't realize what he was doing. But he made his wife feel ridiculous and embarrassed her in front of other people. And so his response is that he explores the meaning of what she said. I'm not so sure I understand what made you feel so angry. Did you feel I was putting you down? I'm sure he felt he was just clarifying the situation. But you see, he put himself above her and made her feel less of value. And so his response is in exploring what she meant. And so the first interaction rule is reflect. Be sure you understand what the person has said. Number two, explore the reason for why they said it. Now let's look at interaction number three. Let's read that.
Let me give you Dick Little's rule here. This is not in the Bible. You don't have to believe it. But I think some of the best advice I could give you is never criticize your mate's appearance. Never. Not under any circumstance at any time. Pray about it. If your mate is sloppy, if things like this, and if you say anything at all, be sure that you know that your mate knows that you love her or love him. And the only way at all you're being critical or you're being corrective is you want to protect her or you want to protect him. But I still think the best thing to do is keep your mouth shut <laughs> about your mate's appearance and pray. And sooner or later, pray that the... Uh, I had to learn this with my daughter, particularly. I had to learn that I could not give her advice, particularly when she reached a certain age. And so when I see something, it needs to be changed. Painfully, I've had to learn to talk to God about it. At least before I talk to her about it. And in the case of appearance, I would think maybe it's better not to at all. But notice this response when his wife was hurt. Honey, it sounds to me that you really feel or that you really feel hurt that I don't seem to accept and love you as you are. Is that right? He tries to clarify what has made his wife angry? All right, the first principle is reflect so that you can understand. Number two, explore so all the ramifications of the remark are made clear to you. Clarify what is what has caused the problem. And then the fourth thing is in interaction number four. And why don't you read that? Just take a moment to read interaction number four. Now this is the most difficult and this is the one that needs very great prayer. Because your wife or your husband can fool herself or himself and not look at what the real problem is and just gripe and complain. And always you can't just be supportive. There are times that God can use you to uncover what the real problem is. But you do it gently and you do it lovingly. And that's what you call extending what you've heard. When he complains about his business pressures, she says, honey, the pressures must really be difficult. You see, she is reflecting what he said. The opposite way to do that is saying, well, don't you realize what a good job you have? My goodness, you make more money at that job than any job you ever had. Now, what he's saying? 
and you reflect the fact that the job is hard and you don't try. I think sometimes panic causes to act like that. You, you feel, you know, oh my, he's going to quit and how are we going to live? All that kind of thing. But try to get at what he's saying. Honey, the pressures must really be difficult. Here comes the extension. I remember that once you told me that this isn't the job you really wanted. I wonder if some of the problem in frustration over being stuck in this line of work. That takes courage. Sometime a spouse will let a mate miss his high calling from God because the spouse wants security. And the spouse would rather have that regular paycheck and have her husband in a dead-end job than to encourage her husband to explore areas where he might be more fulfilled. So this extension, all of it is motivated by love. But this extension comes when you're really trying to serve your mate, even at the expense of your own security. So the four principles, reflection, exploration, clarification, and extension. Okay, in the few minutes we have left, I'd like uh, wives to, um, uh, or husbands rather, to react to interaction number five. And why don't you write down on that space at the bottom what you'd say to that? The wife, tomorrow I have to get up and address our women's group to give a report on our project. I'm really a nervous wreck about it. How would you answer that, husband? Why don't you write down what you'd say? And then you wives, the husband's remark. I'm really feeling guilty about the amount of time I'm away from the family. Haven't played a game with you and the kids for months. You wives, you write down what you'd say about that. Keeping those principles in mind. Won't you do that just a moment? Wives, write it. You might write it down or think about it. You don't have to write it down. Think about it. Wife, think about the husband, uh, the response you'd make. Husband, think about the response you've made. <laughs> now this is supposed to be serious. <laughs> Would any wife like to give the response, or any husband rather, like to give the response for the wife's remark? Would any of you like to do that? Pray about it. Okay, let's discuss that. What do you think about that response? Suppose you were the wife tomorrow. I have to get up and address our women's group and give a report on our project. I'm really a nervous wreck about it. Pray about it. How would that grab you? You're saying no. Why would that not grab you? Yeah, he, that's like saying, "You idiot! You ought to pray about it." 
Maybe. Now, I'm sure the person didn't mean that. But suppose the woman has prayed about it. What about that? Anybody else like to, to react to that? Yes. All right. Why don't you rehearse? Now, understand, pray about it is not a wrong response. That is not a wrong response. But it might not be the best response. Why don't you rehearse in front of me so you'll feel better about it tomorrow? Now, how does that, how does that grab you? Suppose you'd said that and the husband said that. Anybody like, you say no. Why would you say no to that? Maybe can we talk about why you're nervous? In other words, why you're nervous when you stand up in front of people and explore. Maybe it wasn't enough exploring there. However, it was good because he offered to help her. Now, pray about it. Says, you go do it. You know, it could be interpreted. Don't bother me about it. Pray about it. Uh, now, I'm sure that's not what was meant. It might be better to say, honey, let's pray about it. It might be better to say, honey, let's pray about it. Why do you feel nervous? And why don't we work on it together? See, you can incorporate the three things. Okay, now let's do the one, uh, the other one, uh, husband. Uh, I'm really feeling guilty about the amount of time. What wife would like to say a response to that? All right. I would say, I know it's hard for you being so busy. But you must know that we love you and understand what you're going through. Let's get the calendar and try to walk this special time. What can we do to give you more time in reference to your job? And what changes we have to do? Give that lady an A. That is a good response. Excellent response. Has a lot of things in it. How about reading it again? Yeah, read that again. Okay, anybody, would, would you like to comment on that response? Yes. Uh, just a minute, I've got to get up here. Where I'm sure there are probably some other men that would like to get a wife like that the second time around. But you see, that's an addition. In other words, what you said, but here is a, a wife who 
Uh, you tell your husband you love him. You say, what can't changes we make? But here's a wife that goes a little further than that and goes to the children and says, children, you know, your daddy is, is this and let me help. So I think that's very good. I think you could combine those two. There's the understanding and what can we do to change it? And then it's the fact, I'll take it. And I think it'd probably be better if the husband never knew that the person talked to the children. But just talk to the children and say, your daddy is really upset because he doesn't have enough time to spend with you. This kind of thing. Anybody else like on that response? Yes. All right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you appreciate uh, this. And um, that's very good. Let me say one last thing, then we're going to quit. One great principle in communication, if I had to just say one thing, we are to love others as we want them to love us do to them as we want them to do to us. Never kick a spouse when he or she is down. When you know your spouse is angry, when you know your spouse is frustrated, don't attack. There's a tendency to do that. And um, there's a time not to say anything. Or there's a time to say, I love you. 